Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, would you? Now, you know, for those of us who have grown up being familiar with uh, American-style English, with all our idioms and our sayings, and of course, we're not the only ones that have that. I know the, the Germans have a lot of them and, and things like that, but we understand what this means. Would you give me this shirt off your back? But if you come from another culture and maybe you learned English as a second or a third language, this does not mean the same to you as it might mean to uh, a lot of us who have grown up in the United States with the American English. And you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, why would I give you my shirt? It's going to leave me cold. Maybe I'm covered. And I don't want that. And you don't want that. So why would I give you my shirt? Well, I... I think that we just need to explain what we're talking about then. You see this picture, to give someone the shirt off the back is to figuratively give one one's possessions, to help that person out, maybe even be willing to give a person everything you have. It's this idea, you're, you're going to be a generous person when it comes to others. Tonight, we look at two Old Testament characters who were men, you might say, who would give each other the shirts off their backs. We go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and there, there we see two men, David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18, beginning at verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. <coughs> From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Maybe you see a little bit why I maintain they give each other the shirt off their back. Now, I don't know if you like to read books, read novels. I, I read a lot of novels. I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of other things, too, but it's one way that I can relax. And I note that in some of the novels that I read, right up front before you even get into the prologue, if they have a prologue, or you get into chapter one, there's kind of a cast of characters that they introduce. You know, who's who? Who's going to be coming along in the, uh, the, the story so that you can kind of keep track of these things. I always get a kick out of the ones that take us back to uh, World War II Germany, and you've got uh, these names that are about this long, and you've got fun, you know, super duper whatever, and you know, they're hard to just keep track of in the end. But uh, in this one, there's three names, really, that we should think about. Characters, first of all, there's Saul. He's the first king of Israel. Then there's Jonathan, he's Saul's son, and he's a soldier. It seems that he's a commander type in the armies of Israel. And finally, there's David. He's the son of Jesse, one of the eight sons of Jesse. He's the youngest. He was a shepherd, and then he became a soldier, along with being a musician and a poet, someone whom the Holy Spirit would use to write 
quite a number of the, the Psalms that we're so familiar with in the book of Psalms. Now, one of the things that happened was that David found favor with Saul, and it happened in connection with a very, very familiar account from 1 Samuel chapter 17. One of, one of the, the uh, main enemies of the people of Israel, along with the Amalekites, were the Philistines. And the Philistines were just constantly hammering at the Israelites, and it seemed like there was a time where the Philistines had, had risen to a, a point of superiority, and, and one of the factors in that was that they had this soldier, his name was Goliath. Now, if you read the Bible, he was over nine feet tall. Uh, the guy probably weighed, you know, who knows, 300 to 400 pounds. He was probably ripped. Uh, he was a, a guy who knew fighting. He had all the, the conventional armor and things of his day and so on. And uh, as things happened, the, the Israelite army and the Philistine armies were pitched for battle. And Saul went out and, or not, excuse me, Saul, Goliath went out and he challenged the Israelites. And he said, send out a champion so that we can fight each other and whoever wins, uh, their army will be the victor, their nation will be the victor, and of course, uh, the victorious country will get the spoils and all the, the benefits of being the victor. Now, David was a shepherd boy. His brothers were fighting in the armies of Israel, and they were up at the front line of battle. So dad sent David with some care packages to take to his brothers. And when uh, David got to the front line, there he saw this situation. There's this big Philistine giant out there, and nobody wants to go out and fight him because there is nobody in the army of Israel who just seems to have the stuff to be able to defeat this, this big soldier. It'd be kind of like taking one of our high school basketball players and putting him up against LeBron James, if you know what I mean. But here comes David, the shepherd boy. And uh, he finally says, I'll go fight him. And King Saul, as he hears about this, you know, who's this kid to fight against this great giant? But David tells a story about how when he's tending his, his father's sheep, there's a, a lion that comes and is going to attack the flock. And David, by the power of God, kills the lion. Then a bear comes, and David does the same. And he says, so what's this big giant compared to a lion and a bear? Of course, they want to load him up with all kinds of armor and all kinds of weapons, and David says no. He takes his staff, and he takes his shepherd's sack, and he goes to the creek, and he pulls out five stones. Tonight, the children's uh, devotion, we were going to have five stones and a little bag and so on. And we are going to talk about the stone of courage, the stone of uh, confidence, the stone of preparation, uh, <clears throat> the stone of trust, and the stone of uh, victory. And even though... David's five little stones didn't have those names on them. All those components were a part of what David was all about. He knew that his power was in the Lord. He had that, that, that courage, that confidence, that, that trust. And he prepared himself by taking care of his relationship with the Lord. And of course, he experienced the victory. Goliath taunted David, and David went out. And he took his sling, and he took a stone. He threw it, and by the power of God, that, that stone implanted itself in the forehead of, uh, of Goliath, and boom, down he went, and David went and killed him, and he was victorious. And of course, this won David great 
favor with Saul. Because after that, Saul did not want him to go back to his father's flocks, but he wanted him to remain in the courts of the king of Israel. So David found favor with Saul. But at the same time, David also found a friend in Saul's son, Jonathan. We're told that they were one in spirit and that, that Jonathan loved David as himself. So here's David. He's just being blessed. First of all, he wins favor with the king. Then he finds a friend in the king's son. But it doesn't take long, and all of a sudden, David begins to lose favor with the king because the victories continue to come. And as the, the, the Israelite armies come back uh, from their various battles and so on, the people are, are praising them and they're saying, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. Well, if you're the king and you listen to these messages, you'd say, whoa, there's something wrong here. He's getting more praise than I am. And so Saul begins to become jealous. He's angry. He's fearful. After a while, we're told he becomes hateful. And this is all complicated by the fact that you go back some time before, you know, this, this victory with Goliath and the, the, the following victories. And it was a time when the Lord told Saul that he wanted him to go to battle against the Amalekites. Remember, they're the other arch enemies of the Israelites at this time. And the Lord told him that he was going to give Saul the victory, but when he was victorious, he was to leave nothing. He was to kill the people. He was to, to, to destroy all the plunder. But when Saul experienced the victory, he saw the value of the plunder and he kept the best of what the Amalekites had. And then he took some of the, the animals that he and his armies had taken from the Amalekites and he sacrificed them up to the Lord. And he committed idolatry because he disobeyed God and he put himself in the place of God and began to call the shots rather than to listen and to and obey the shots that God called. And so we're told that God rejected Saul and he removed his spirit from him and he even allowed an evil spirit to come upon Saul. And so here is Saul. He's jealous. He's angry. He's fearful. He's hateful. And what's more, if you read this whole section of 1 Samuel, you find out he became murderous. His hate, his fear, his jealousy moved him to try to kill David a number of times. Now, it raises the question, are things like jealousy and fear and, uh, and anger and hatred, things that are ancient and go back to times like in the, the 10 hundreds or the 11 hundreds before Christ and are exclusively then and there? Or do they afflict us today also? Do you find that there are times that you, you look around you and you see that uh, people who don't work as hard as you do or don't seem to be as deserving as you are uh, get things that you don't have. Maybe they get credit that they really didn't deserve and you worked for and you earned, but you didn't get it. Are there times where things happen in the lives of others that you find yourself envying and there's jealousy and there's anger? 
And after a while, there can be, you know, fear, what's happening in my life, and you can begin to hate people. And we know that hatred in the eyes of God is the same thing as murder, and it can lead to murder. And that's why God, through the Apostle Paul, as we think about these people, we think about angry, jealous, fearful, hatred, murderous, he tells us in Ephesians 4, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. God is warning us here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what Saul did. And eventually the Spirit of God said, you know, I cannot dwell within this man anymore. And he left Saul. And Saul lost his faith and he lost his eternal life. And that can happen to us too. If we let the devil and we let our sinful nature get the best of us, and, and we start to become jealous and angry and fearful, and, and we don't do anything about it, but we just let these things fester and burn and bubble within our souls, there's always that danger that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And he who has set us apart as God's people and made us his temple may finally say, I can't live here anymore. And he leaves. And if he leaves, faith leaves. And if faith leaves, eternal life leaves. And you know where that leaves us then. And therefore, as we look at ourselves and we see within us that we have things like jealousy and anger and, and, and this fear that flows out of the jealousy and, and the anger and we have the hatred and those types of things, those are things that finally we need to confess to God. We need to turn from those things and take that forgiveness that God gives us full and free in Christ our Savior who lived, died, and rose again for all our sins. It's important that we pray to God and ask God to give us that strength that we need and then immerse ourselves in the love of God which gives us the, the, the healing and the help that we need to overcome those spiritual ills that can can so affect our hearts and can weaken our souls and eventually kill our faith. God tells us that a smoldering wick he will not quench, a bruised reed he will not break. That's his promise to you and to me. I will be with you to help you and to bless you. We don't want ourselves to become like Saul, and God doesn't want that for us either. But at the same time, as all those things were happening to Saul, there was Jonathan and David. They were best friends. Did you notice some of the characteristics of their, their friendship and their love for each other? Remember, we're told that, that, that Jonathan became one with David. Literally, the picture is like their souls became knit together. He loved him as himself. It was not a, a selfish, self-centered type of love. We're told that he made a covenant with David. He committed himself to David. We're told that uh, he was willing to give various things to David. His, his robe, his tunic, his, uh, his spear, his bow, his belt. Literally, the shirt off his back. And, and if you read the whole story about 
Jonathan and, and David, you see how there were these times that Saul wanted to kill David. Any number of times Jonathan did the things that needed to be done, even though the king was his father and he was endangering his own life. He did those things to save his friend David. And when David was now one time and ready to give it, give it up and just quit running from Saul and allow himself to be killed, Jonathan went to him and encouraged him and said, you can't stop. Because you see, long before Saul began to pursue David, the Lord had told Samuel to go and to anoint King David to be the next king after Saul. And so this was going to be the line of the Savior. And, and uh, the Lord used Jonathan to keep this line alive so that God's plan of salvation could be brought to fulfillment. But Jonathan loved David with a love that was committed, faithful, unconditional, and sacrificial. And what about David and his love for Jonathan? They gave, they give each other the shirt off their back. But where do we see this in, in David? Well, when you look at David in the greater context, and you see how he trusted Samuel, or he trusted uh, Jonathan, and, and how he was, uh, uh, he was always there. He didn't, he didn't uh, tell King Saul about Jonathan. He didn't betray him in any way. And when it came to times that David had the opportunity to even kill Jonathan's father, Saul, David wouldn't do that because Saul was the Lord's anointed, but he was also Jonathan, Jonathan's father. So David loved Jonathan with a love that was committed and sacrificial and unconditional and faithful. And this flowed from their love for the Lord and his love for them. They knew the promise of the Savior that was to come. And as a result, they knew that they had that love of God that was full and free. And this moved them in their love for God and their love for each other. And it moved them so that they give each other the shirt off their back. Now, this takes us back to that question. Would you give someone the shirt off your back. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, after hearing this, uh, this message about Jonathan and David, yeah, I better do that. But you know, sometimes love means saying no to people. You know, you don't want to give things to people. You don't want to give money to people if they're going to turn around and use it to, um, to abuse alcohol or to buy drugs or to pursue some other addiction. It may be a gambling habit that they have. We don't want to just enable people to be poor stewards of, of material things in their life because, remember, good stewardship really falls under the seventh commandment, and it has to do with being faithful to God, using you know, our money and our material blessings well and wisely to the glory of God. And so there may be times when people approach us and they ask us for things that in love we have to say, no, I, I can't give you money, but I'll, I'll help you find help for your addiction. I'll help you find guidance when it comes to managing your money. I'll, I'll help you find the resources that you need. And maybe the time comes that it's appropriate then to give something to those who are around us, who come to us, and who are asking for our help. But then there may be those times, though, where people do come to us. And, and they, they look to us and they ask us for help. And I'm sure that many of you have given that help. 
And we always appreciate it that, that people support our, our, um, the love of Christ fund that we have to help our members and to help you know, people in our community that, who have legitimate needs. And every year, we're, we're blessed with the opportunity to give you know, thousands of dollars to our members. Maybe when uh, the transmission goes out on a car and people are just living right in the edge and they don't have that money to, to help others. Sometimes it's a matter of where there's some, some, some health needs that just aren't covered and uh, they make just a little bit too much money to, to, to fall under the, the various uh, support systems that we have. Or I think back to 2004, December 3rd, there was a fire down at the AMPI butter plant. And there were dozens of people in our community who were affected by that because they couldn't go to work. We had 14 families in our congregation who were affected by that. And as a result, the income was cut off temporarily so they couldn't pay their mortgages. If they had children going to MVL or, or to St. Paul's school, they couldn't necessarily pay the tuition. Some couldn't uh, take care of utilities. And I think of how members of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and members of our community rose up and gave thousands of dollars that were matched by various other entities. But as a result, we're able to show love to one another in a material way and not just say, well, be warm and well-fed and go your way, but to say, here, we love you and we're here for you. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. You know, when it comes to loving one another, it's not just a matter of money or materials. Think about the words of Paul to the Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so here, God is laying before us the fact that, that love is an attitude that we have towards each other, whereas God values and respects us and cares about us a whole lot in a whole lot of different ways, God wants us to do the same for one another and for others around us. But it's an attitude that also shows itself in action. And God wants us not just to feel love, but to act in our love for one another. And then there is this little verse, verse 8 in that 1 Corinthians 13 section, which says, love never fails. Now, I don't know about you, but I come to this, first of all, I find it rather condemning. Are you always patient? Are you ever selfish? Do you find yourself at times struggling to forgive others? Do you keep records about the wrongs that others have done to you? Do you always honor and respect one another? Is there always that kindness, that gentleness that people really deserve from us? And don't we all have to say, gotcha, or got me? Because who of us have loved with a love that has never failed? But the comforting thing is that we as, as daughters and sons of God know that there is a love that has never failed. And that is the love of God for us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
This is the love that moved God the Son to leave eternity and glory and to come into time and to come into poverty and humility and to be in our place what God wanted us to be for him under his law, perfect, obedient, perfectly loving. And yet, because of sin, we couldn't be. But Jesus came, and he was, and he did all those things. And then he went to the cross of Calvary. Even though he had no sin of his own, he became the greatest of sinners. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the apostle Paul said. And so Christ took our sins, and we get his holiness, and as a result, God looks at us and says, forgiven, holy, innocent in my sight, my daughters, my sons, my heirs of everlasting life. And this is a love that will never fail. God isn't fickle. It's not like the weather here in Minnesota. His love is constant. It is faithful. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. There is that passage in, in, in Isaiah 54. Though the mountains depart and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will never depart, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And so in view of this love, love one another. Look at the different ways that you can love people. Think about the appropriate things to say. If there are people in your lives who need to, to hear from you, I love you. It's important that we say those positive, those affirmative things. It's important that we, we set aside time to be with each other, to turn off the TV, to turn off our phones, to quit texting, to quit doing this and doing that and spend time with each other because spending that quality time with each other is a way that we say, I love you. It's important for us to look at our lives and say, well, how, how do others need my help? You know, in families, it could be that, that one person helps with the dishes or maybe it's, it's helping with uh, this or that in the home. It's doing those things that express love for one another. It's... It's the hugging. It's the kissing. Now, of course, you've got to be careful. You know, you can't just go around hugging and kissing everybody uh, these days with all the, the issues that we have with it. But where it's appropriate for husbands and wives and parents and children, and there's a place for us as Christians to hug each other. When we're, we're at the funeral home and we're going through the line and our friend has lost a loved one, when there is a, a celebration that's going on. You know, we, we can do those things in an appropriate way. Sometimes it's the pat on the back that we give to, uh, to, to give that encouragement. Certainly we want to be wise, we want to be appropriate when it comes to doing this. But those are the kinds of things that also show love. And there are the celebrations that we have, the wedding anniversaries that we don't want to forget because those are, those are times where we remember, you know, special things that God has brought about in our lives. It can be the birthdays. It can be different, you know, victories that people uh, <clears throat> experience. But it's important for us to put up our antenna, to turn on our radar, to look at what are the things that are going to matter to those around us. What is it that's going to show love to them? And then think about how God showed love to you and show that love to others so that when they look at you, you are a person who, touched by God's love, 
is a person of whom they'd say, that person would give you the shirt off their back. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.